0: Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. Do you often get angry? Do you think people in general are more angry these days than they used to be? And how can we best cope with our own anger and that of those around us? To help answer those questions, we turn to our guest on this
1: episode, anger expert Ryan Martin, who's a psychology professor at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Among other things, he researches and writes on healthy and unhealthy expressions of anger. He also blogs about anger for psychology today, and he just did a great TED talk on why we get mad and why it's healthy. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us
2: today. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Your job is really interesting, and we're wondering how you got into being an anger researcher.
2: Anger has been something I've been interested in for a very long time. Actually, as far back as when I was in college, I was really intrigued by why a lot of the kids I was working with got angry. So I used to work at a shelter for at-risk adolescents. This was in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I would just see a lot of anger amongst the children that were residents there. And I think one of the things that was interesting is what I realized later, much later is, you know, how much these kids had to be angry about and, you know, that the world had been very, very unfair to them. So they had a lot to be hurt by, a lot to be sad about, a lot to be angry about. But what was also true is that they weren't really handling that anger in a very productive, healthy way. And of course they weren't, they were kids. Right. And so it's understandable. And so I went on to graduate school because at the time I thought I wanted wanted to be primarily a therapist working with adolescents and started working with a researcher named Dr. Eric Dolan. He's an anger researcher at the University of Southern Mississippi where I went to school. And from there, I just realized how much I loved research, how much I loved teaching and kind of took things a different direction from that point.
0: Borrowing from the topic of your TED Talk, why do we get mad and why is it healthy?
2: Most people think that the reason we get mad is because just purely because of a provocation, right? And so you hear that in, frankly, in the way people talk about their anger. They oftentimes use the expressions, well, it made me so mad when mm-hmm. this happened, right mm-hmm. I got mad yep. because this happened. And, you know, ultimately, well, of course, it's true that those provocations matter. What matters more is really how we interpret those provocations, right? So when we experience some sort of event, we decide if this is negative. We decide if this is blameworthy if it's punishable and so on, right? We make those decisions and it happens extraordinarily quickly that we really, the second we experience this event, we immediately decide how bad it is, whether or not we can deal with it and so on. But of course it's not just that because on top of all of that is that the mood we're in the moment it happens makes a difference. So if I'm anxious, if I'm in pain, if I'm tired, if I'm hungry, All of those things influence whether or not I get angry. And so it's this confluence of events of pieces that, you know, this provocation, how we interpret that provocation, the mood that we're in at the time, all of that come together. And sometimes in this sort of perfect storm that leads to anger. Now, the second part of the question was, why is it healthy? Well, it's healthy because... All emotions, anger included, they exist in us because they serve this evolutionary purpose, right? They exist because they helped our ancestors survive in these sort of cruel, natural settings. And so, just as my fear alerts me to danger, so I'm scared of a spider or heights or, or something like that, that alerts me to danger and tells me to get away from it, my anger alerts me to injustice. And it says, okay, something unfair is happening. And then it gives me the energy to respond to that injustice. And it gives me the energy to actually do something about it.
1: You say that not only has anger been with us during some of the worst parts of our lives, but it's also been with us during some of the best parts. How is that?
2: You know, it's funny, something that happens when people experience positive events, and and we know this is true, that when we look back at any event from our life, we aren't actually looking at the whole event emotionally. We're really picking out some of the highlights. And so, you know, if somebody thinks back on a vacation they just took, or they think back on uh, their wedding day or things like that, they're thinking about the highlights, like the best moments from that date or from that trip or whatever they're forgetting when they might have gotten stuck in traffic or when somebody didn't do something they said they would do or, or travel delays and so on. And, you know, all of those sorts of things, those frustrations in the moment, those are very real and they exist day in and day out. It's just that we tend to forget them down the road. And so whether it's birthday celebrations or vacations or prom or any of those things, chances are there were some frustrations along the way that we have either since forgot about or decided. weren't that big a deal.
0: You say that one of the first things you should do when you're angry is sort out why you're feeling that way. But isn't that sometimes tough to do when we're in the midst of anger?
2: Yeah, this is really the biggest problem that people often have is that when they experience that provocation and they are at their angriest, They have a hard time really thinking rationally about what is going on and what happened and why they're feeling the way they are. Now, eventually, people can kind of learn to come away from that and come around and say, "Okay, I I think I know why this rubbed me the wrong way or I think I know why this way. And the hope is that with practice, people are able to do that more quickly, that they're able to sort of catch themselves and learn to catch themselves a little bit sooner and a little bit sooner. And so, you know, in the beginning, you know, as people are trying to reflect on it, maybe it takes them a day to kind of get to the point where they can do that. But then down the road, they start to get a little better at it and they're able to think like, yeah, okay, I'm catastrophizing right now. Or, yeah, I'm really misattributing blame here. I'm blaming the wrong people for this. not just their fault. I play a role here, too.
1: You just mentioned catastrophizing. What do we do if we find ourselves doing that? And can you explain that a little bit for people who don't know what that is? I thought it was really interesting when I was reading about it and I... I found myself doing that many times. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like mother like daughter.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a it's a very easy trap to fall into. So when going back to that interpretation element that I mentioned before that there's some common thought types that we have that really exacerbate or increase how likely we are to get angry. Um, and so there's things like inflammatory labeling and overgeneralizing and all these things. One of those are really Big one of those is what's called catastrophizing. And catastrophizing is basically the tendency to blow things way out of proportion and to make things much worse in your mind than they actually are. And I should mention that these concepts are much, much uh, older than I am as far as who discuss them. So people like Dr. Aaron Beck and um, Albert Ellis were talking about these concepts a long time ago. And what catastrophizing really does is when we blow things out of proportion, we say things like, okay, so now I can't find this phone number that I said I needed to find. And instead of just saying, oh, that's frustrating. I'm going to have to figure this out. You say, oh, this is the worst thing that could have happened. I really needed that number. And now what am I going to do? And you know, you kind of blow this up as though it's ruining your whole day or your whole week or your year, or your career or whatever. And the reason why it's such a big deal in anger is because Part of the equation for why we get mad is not just is this thing bad, but it's how bad is it? Can I cope with it? And if you decide that you can't cope with this problem, then you're more likely to get really angry. So a mild frustration becomes a, a massive frustration.
0: What advice do you have on ruminating about a situation that has made you angry? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Another one. Another family trait.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So in the spirit of full disclosure, too, this is the thing that I am worst at. So I am a terrible ruminator, so much so that when my son was about two years old, we were driving someplace, and maybe he's a little older than that, maybe three, we were driving someplace, and I was thinking to myself, and he said to me, what and i said oh, i didn't say anything he said yeah you did and then he repeated all my thoughts back to me and uh, i realized i <laughs> i've been speaking out loud in the front seat and he, either that or he could read my mind but um <laughs> so so when it comes to rumination again one thing people should know is that rumination is also in some small doses Uh, a healthy practice, because really it is just that it's practice. It's you kind of working through a situation, thinking about what you could have said or could have done differently. And as long as it doesn't get too ranty in your mind, it's actually a pretty healthy thing to do. And it actually, you know, one of the things that makes humans really interesting species is that we're able to kind of think about events in ways that other animals can't uh, or other creatures can't. And we're able to uh, kind of think through situations and how we wish we would have handled them and so on. And that's really what ruminating is. Now, It, of course, gets to a point where it can be maladaptive, either because it becomes just too, one, sometimes it increases your anger again and again and again, right? So you're not just getting angry that first time, you're getting angry each and every time. The other thing is that sometimes it just becomes so all-encompassing, so distracting to you that you end up not being as productive or being as successful. So some things that people can do, sometimes it's helpful to kind of distract yourself. Maybe you engage in some things, whether it's hobbies or other sorts of activities that can kind of distract you from that process. I like to think about, again, that kind of search for insight as part of that practice. And so maybe think about why I'm feeling the way I am. Sometimes problem solving can be valuable and trying to identify that. And of course, and this is something that I personally have never been great at, but mindfulness, actually trying to embrace some mindfulness practices to be more aware and kind of try and move away from that that distracting rumination.
1: It seems like there's no situation that tends to bring out the worst in people, more so than driving. And I found myself again saying before that somebody is a complete idiot for pulling in front of me or they don't know how to drive when I know nothing about them and I only have a very small fraction of a second evaluating their driving skills. Why is it that we do that?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of reasons why driving is such a... Or can be such a problematic situation when it comes to anger. One is it just starts from the fact that it's inherently dangerous. And so if, whether people realize it or not, they're a little more tense, a little less comfortable when they're driving. Mm-hmm. and if if we go back to that why do we get angry model that I talked about earlier, you know your current mood plays a role, and so that anxiety. You're oftentimes on your way someplace uh, Well, you're always on your way someplace. And so there are those things that interfere, kind of block your goals. And we know that's a reason why people and and frankly, all animals get angry. So things, you know, blocking your goals. There's also the fact that all of these other drivers, there's all these kind of written rules of the road, but there's also these unwritten rules. So what speed should people be going? Things like that. Those tend to um you know, if I think the correct speed is this, you know, I'll use my father in law as an example. He thinks you never go over the speed limit ever. Right. I'm more of the five over sort of <laughs> uh-huh. mentality. Uh-huh. If both of us are on the road, you know, I might find him to be a hazard because he's going too slow and he probably finds me to be a hazard because I'm going too fast. And, you know, everybody on the road has some slightly different rules that they kind of live by and operate by. And when people violate those, they get angry at them. But then you add to it that we know nothing else about the people on the road and that and and so it becomes very easy to label them as a complete idiot or a total fool or something worse when really we don't know a whole lot about what's going on the example i often use you know you imagine you're driving somewhere and the person in front of you is driving you know well 5 miles below the speed limit and you're getting frustrated and you're thinking why are they doing this why won't they just get out of the way and you, you call them names in your mind and things like that or out loud then, yep or out <laughs> loud um, and if you uh, if you had a moment and somehow were able to learn that that person had just recently been in a car accident and this is their first time out on the road or that they had a newborn in the back seat and they were driving home from the hospital you know your attitude changes uh, i would think you know and you might now see this as okay i understand why they're being extra careful i understand that And I think that, you know, we never know those things about the other people we encounter in our lives. And because we don't know those things, we sometimes jump to the worst possible conclusion.
0: So what is your advice for dealing with road rage if we feel it or if we're on the receiving end of it?
2: Yeah, I think if you are feeling it, um, this is a case where I do think, you know, I think anger has a a lot of potential to cause problems. And so even though I've said many times that anger is healthy, it is certainly unhealthy in certain circumstances. And this is a place where it can be really dangerous. Um, First thing I, I often tell people is to actually think a lot about the types of situations where they're likely to get angry behind the wheel and then do their part to avoid those situations. So I'll again, use an example from my life. Um, I I am, I'm pretty chill when I'm driving, I don't get too angry, except in one circumstance and that circumstance is when I'm running low on gas. And if I'm ever running low on gas, all those little sort of obstacles start to feel like the thing that's going to make me run out of gas on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. And I start to stress and I start to get frustrated by people. And so I just I know that about myself. I just don't let it get below a quarter of a tank um, because I don't want to put myself in that situation. So if you know that traffic does that to you, if you if you find yourself regularly angry because you are running late, um, try to avoid those situations. Leave earlier, try and avoid traffic when you can and so on. Um, So that's one thing I usually encourage people to do. Two is. To um, think uh, and actually avoiding catastrophizing is is a real important piece. You know, sometimes the things we get angry at when we're behind the wheel of a car are really minor, but we don't think of them as minor. So if I hit a stoplight that I didn't want to hit, that might delay me, what, two minutes? And in the grand scheme of things, that's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. And so thinking through some of those consequences, what are the real, actual uh, consequences of being late like this?
1: Another topic that doesn't bring out the best in people is politics. And people are getting so worked up about politics in general, but I feel Mm -hmm. like especially more as the election is nearing. What are your suggestions for dealing with friends who on social media or in real life are just so angry and unpleasant and we just kind of want to quiet them and unfollow them on Facebook.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's actually I think it's totally fair for people to kind of ask themselves why, if and why they want to engage uh, in those conversations with people. And I honestly don't blame people for wanting to engage in those conversations because these are things that people feel passionately about and they're they're, they're trying to make a difference, and that's one of the mechanisms they use. Um, I personally had decided at one point, you know what, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to spend my time arguing with people online because I don't actually feel like I ever really achieved like, the outcome I want. Mm-hmm. I think when people are... You know, feel, I mean, when people are feeling like they're kind of the victims of other people's anger online, I oftentimes encourage them to not engage. I mean, the expression don't feed the trolls is a, a common one. But even if it's not a troll, it's just a family member or something that's making you feel bad. I think voicing that how you're feeling and then disengaging um, is, a, is a healthy, reasonable thing to do. A lot of times what's going on, though, I think, is really that people feel particularly powerless when it comes to politics. And they also see these situations where, you know, these situations, the things that are happening really matter. You know, that this is that the political outcomes, unlike another area where people get really angry and that's sports. The outcome of political situations really do matter to people's lives, oftentimes in a very meaningful way. And so that coupled with the helplessness people feel leads to anger and and attempts to lash out in ways to try and do something about it.
0: So do you think we're becoming a lot more angry as a society overall than we used to be? Because it seems to me... Uh, when I compare, you know, growing up like in the 1960s and 70s, um, it seems like it was a different time. Then. I mean, you know, now I'm, I'm saying that and I'm thinking, well, there was angry anger in terms of, you know, riding in the streets and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like overall as a society, we've gotten a, a lot more angry and a lot more likely to use four letter words that we would have been appalled at using mm-hmm. in the 80s or in the
2: 70s. Yeah, I, uh, that's a great question. it's a question I get all the time. Um, and I don't, I wish I knew the answer. I wish I knew and could say uh, unequivocally, the problem is we don't really have any metrics to base it off of. I do agree that how people tend to voice their anger has likely changed uh, in the sense that things that were uncommon or unacceptable then may be more common and more acceptable now. I, I suspect that in some ways we are an angrier society and I, And I wouldn't necessarily say that's because I see so much as I can think of some changes that have occurred that have led to that. Um, I I think, for example, I, I think just increases in population, people living more closely to one another. Anger is very much a social emotion. And so, you know, we have more opportunities for it because we we are kind of bumping into and interacting with people so often and uh, people who are anonymous in some ways. So there's a lot more of the provocations, right? I mean, traffic is just more prevalent now. And that's one of the things that brings it out. I also think that social media has uh, really changed the way human beings experience a lot of emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, You can hide behind
1: your username or you can hide behind Facebook and Instagram.
2: Yeah, I think it's really – I can think of two ways that it's really changed things. One is just what you're saying, that it's it's given people a new mechanism to express their anger. So I can, when I'm mad, take to Twitter or take to Facebook and, and tell the world about it in ways that I couldn't 15 years ago. But the other thing is that I'm exposed to so many more opportunities to feel that, you know, when I scroll through Facebook, really what I'm seeing is a lot of opportunities to feel and not just anger, but joy and sadness and fear that. I didn't have access to 15 years ago, so I know now if some friend of mine feels very differently about politics, we maybe never would have talked about that 15 years ago. But I know now that they feel that way, or and of course the other side of it happens too, right? I, I see that you know a, a friend got married who I wouldn't have known that 15 years ago, but now I do, and so there's an opportunity to feel happy mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have had, and I, so I do think that you know th- there's certainly an upside, but I. I think it also has led to I'm just seeing more, you know, more uh, I'm experiencing more of those provocations.
1: What's the one piece of advice you would give to somebody who finds themselves angering easily and just having a short temper?
2: Yeah, I think. I would encourage anyone and everyone to search for insight into their life. Like, think about why they're getting angry and then think about what to do about it. You know, I think there are absolutely good reasons to get angry. And that's really the goes back to the nature of that TED talk I did is that I, I believe that, people, that there are things we should be angry about. Um, and sort of the secret is to figure out what are the things I should be angry about And what do I do about it when I face them versus what are the things I can let go and not let get to me? And and how do I deal with that?
0: What could you expect from anger management classes if you feel like, hey, I really need some help with this?
2: Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I'd say is a lot of times those classes are very focused on some strategies that I think are helpful, like deep breathing and meditation and progressive muscle relaxation and things like that. And I think those things are very helpful. They're very helpful for people who are experiencing anger and want to lessen or decrease that anger in the moment. What those classes, my experience has been that those classes tend to focus less on that insight piece. They tend to focus less on, the why are, you, why are you getting angry and what can you do about it piece that they tend to be very focused on once you're getting angry, here's how you lessen it instead of the why are you feeling angry and what can we do about it?
1: As an anger researcher, I feel like everybody must be coming up to you all the time and sharing their anger stories and asking for advice. And I'm wondering if you feel like that's made you an angrier person or if maybe it's had the opposite effect. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So people certainly do like to tell me those stories. I I get, um, especially family like to call me with uh, examples and things like that. And I love hearing them because well, sometimes they're just really interesting and really intriguing and and they're fun to kind of think about and pick apart a little bit. And I do think that the nature of this is that I'm exposed to a lot of these sorts of provocations. Typically, though, when people tell me those stories, they really focus on what the person did and not so much what made them angry in the first place. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll write me and be like, yeah, did you hear so and so shot their television? You know, or did you, did you see this this fight that broke out between uh, between this person and this person? Can you believe that? And so it, it tends to be more on the outcome than it is and less about the uh the, the provocation, the thing that started.
0: What role can an apology play in taking the steam out of an anger situation?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a really, really great question because um, I do think that there is a, a really important role for forgiveness in this conversation and that sometimes that is a thing. You know, a lot of times people will ask me, is anger secondary to depression, you know, and is, is it like, are people really sad and their anger is like manifesting itself from that sadness? And I think sometimes that's true, but really what I think is more true is that at the core sometimes is that people are feeling hurt. And sometimes that hurt comes out as anger. And sometimes that hurt comes out as sadness. And sometimes it comes out as jealousy. Um, but I, I think that, sometimes when people are feeling hurt, that hearing the words, I'm sorry, do really make all the difference. Um, And that that kind of, you know, hearing that sorry allows you to more easily forgive the person and move on. Uh, Another important part of this too, that is sort of related is just the the notion of conflict management and, and to think about anger less as this singular provocation, but more of a, well, we've got this, this fight is brewing between me and this other person or this conflict is brewing. And and this goes back to your question about social media uh, or about anger over politics, especially online. And that is sometimes it's helpful to think about what the goals are, what you want to come out of this. And Sometimes the answer to that question, I hope, is I want to preserve this relationship. And when people make the relationship the goal and say, I want to preserve this relationship instead of I want to win this argument, um, I think that that can really go a long way for people and kind of tampering down some of that anger.
1: And Ryan, as you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. And at the end of the episode, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that you wish someone had told you about anger that would have saved you from some frustrating moments along the way?
2: Yeah, I wish I would have learned and I still remember exactly when I learned this and it wasn't that late, but I wish I would have learned going into it. That anger is good and healthy, and that we should experience it. And, and sometimes we should experience it often. Um, I do remember the person who who showed me that. It was actually in my thesis defense. <laughs> <And> he, uh, <laughs> And he uh, he he took me down a line. He's a very, very smart man. Who is, his name is Bill Lydon. He has since passed away. But he uh, w- took me down sort of a line of questioning, and I sort of realized I was stepping in it a little bit. And then he asked this question about or, or essentially made it clear that, yeah, there are things we should be angry about. And I kind of remember this sort of aha moment of like, yeah, he's he's absolutely right. And I'm thankful he did, even though it made for a little bit of an uncomfortable moment at my thesis. defense.
0: Uh, Ryan, how can people connect with you on social media, the internet, and also through your podcast?
2: Yeah, so they can find me on Twitter at RyCmart. That's R-Y-C-M-A-R-T. My blog is called alltheragescience.com. And actually, there's a Facebook page also called alltheragescience.com. All right, super.
0: And is there a book in your future?
2: I hope so. I've definitely been thinking about some ideas and uh, would very much like to take that step and write one.
0: And we'd love to read it. <laughs> and have you on Wonderful. after. And have you on after. You, you have that. a place to go.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, thank Wonderful. you so thank you so much for joining us. Our thanks to Professor Ryan Martin. You can check out his blogs for Psychology Today, his TED Talk on why we get mad and why it's healthy, and also visit his website, which again is called alltheragescience.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.